0: Welcome to another episode of Relentlessly Resilient, where real people share real-life experiences and the tools they've developed to move forward and live their
1: best lives. I'm Jenny Taylor. And I'm Michelle Scharf. Today, we have a special guest, someone who I met in the singles world. Jenny, I know you don't like to talk our about favorite, this. Our favorite world. <laughs> Jenny Taylor is not interested in dating, and I, as a widow, am currently dating, and so... She harasses me re- relentlessly. <laughs> I am resilient in that harassment.
0: Jenny Evans is joining us today. Yes, she is. Jenny, welcome. Thank you for joining us and being willing to share your real story with us.
2: Thank you for having me. It's nice yeah. to talk to you.
1: So, Jenny, you approached me at a singles event and you said, hey, I heard you had this podcast, whatever. And then you told me a little bit about your story. I don't know the whole story. We've talked a little bit pre-show, but I'm really excited to hear this full story and and how it relates to being resilient. Most excited about that this is a very different topic. We've covered a lot of death on our shows. For those of you listening, it, we don't want to do just death. It doesn't have to be the most tragic event in anybody's life to be on the show. We really want to reach out and talk to people who have had Hard, difficult things that they've gone through at whatever level that's difficult and hard in your own life. And if you recognize that you have some skills and some tools of resiliency that have helped you to move forward, we want you to reach out and call us.
0: Yeah. So I just wanted
1: to plug that before we get started on the story. I really appreciate you approaching me. We want to hear more of these stories. So, So
0: Jenny, introduce. Us to you and also to our listeners. Give us a little of your background, who, what, when, where, why, all of that before we get into kind of the meat of the story. Help us get to know you a little bit better. Yeah.
2: Oh, well, nice to talk to you. Um, Yeah, I met Michelle at a singles event and you know how much fun the singles world is. Mm -hmm. And I deal with my adversity through adventure. And so my thing is that I am I'm single, I'm childless, and I'm in my mid-40s. So I'm kind of an anomaly here in Northern Utah. And I have dealt with the grief of not having children. I have dealt with various relationship issues and a couple accidents, a motorcycle accident and a car accident that, you know, could have been fatal and uh, was quite a recovery from both. And I have dealt with all of that through adventure. So learning new things, traveling, interacting with different cultures, learning new skills, finding new hobbies. And I get a lot of feedback from people that's inspiring. So I was very curious to talk to Michelle about resilience and the different approaches and different ways people manage that, because I have a little bit of a different story.
0: I kind of want to put that on a T-shirt. I yeah. deal with my adversity through adventure. Yeah. I think so many of us, when we face adversity, we almost cower from adventure. Adversity tends to make us inhibited or fearful or or just sad, and and we don't necessarily have the energy you think would need you know to be part of that adventure. But I'm excited to hear how this sense of adventure has helped you through your adversity, which of course means we need to learn more about your adversity.
2: So I guess I'll just get right into it. Um, Me, like everybody else, we've all been through a lot. Um, I've been very fortunate that I haven't been touched by death. I've been pretty shielded from that. But I have dealt with some things like the end of a relationship that was very, very sudden and unexpected that felt like a death to me. And when I was in counseling afterwards, that's how I grieved it. Um, I grieved the loss of not being a biological mother. I had to grieve the loss of yet another failed relationship in a culture that tells me my value as a woman is tied to being a wife and a mother. Hmm. I got into a, a pretty dark place after a breakup a few years ago, and I decided that I had one of two directions to go, and that was either up or down. And down didn't seem like an option because I was in my final semester of college and I was hellbent on graduating. So I decided, okay, whatever I'm going to do with my life and be angry or or whatever, I'm at least going to graduate first and then I'll figure it out. And thankfully, that distraction got me out of that mindset I was in and allowed me to start the healing process.
1: I love it. Tell us more about that first accident.
2: Well, Kind of the first accident, I was 19 years old and I was on my way to work and it was February. It was icy back when we had snow and ice on the ground. And I was uh, approaching a yellow light and a kid in a 74 Chevy Nova, which is a very large, heavy car, decided to turn on a yellow light in front of me and I couldn't stop. And uh, he was uh, 16 years old, just gotten his license, just got the car. I was in a hurry, and I got in a near head-on collision, uh, fractured my hip, stitches in my arm, and surprisingly enough, I didn't have a seatbelt on, which is not the way I normally operate. I, I'm, I'm very safety conscious, and that one day, I didn't have one on. And when I got to the ER later that day, the attending physician said if I would have had my seatbelt on, likely would have crushed my pelvis. Wow. So somebody was looking out for me, and I kind of fell sideways in the vehicle even though I was going kind of forward. Mm-hmm. So there were a lot of anomalies in that wreck that it didn't seem like I should have been alive with the speed I was going and, and how hard we hit. It it was shocking to a lot of people that I wasn't injured worse. And I healed from that and went through my twenties trying to date, trying to settle down and got married when I was twenty seven. Um, that didn't last. That lasted you well know, about seven, eight years or so, and I realized the writing was on the wall that our marriage was in trouble. So I chose not to bring children into it, which very much pained me. But watching all of my single friends that were struggling with single parenthood, I thought it wouldn't be a good idea to do that intentionally. So I got divorced at 35, and my year that slapped me, Jenny, was uh, 2010 uh, through 2012. Mm. So. 2020 was a piece of cake for me um, <laughs> after going through that.
0: Tell us about that that time period for you.
2: So the catalyst, I'm sure all of us, well, you guys have spoke of that with becoming widows. My catalyst was almost being killed in a motorcycle wreck. And two months after I had filed for divorce, some guys at work, I work at Hill Air Force Base, invited me on a ride, a motorcycle ride. And I had my own bike, but it was in the shop getting tired. And so... Because it got delayed over the weekend, someone invited me to just join them on their bike, so I was on the back of someone's bike. And we were going up North Ogden Divide, and a gentleman uh, leaving the church ran a stop sign and hit us.
0: Oh, my goodness.
2: And, yeah. (laughs) And the thing that was difficult about that, it was not necessarily just that, but we had just lost somebody at work about six months before in a similar wreck. And he, unfortunately, was not wearing a helmet and he was killed. And so anyone that rides a motorcycle, we're very aware that people are trying to get us. They don't see us. They're not paying attention. And everybody that rides a motorcycle knows somebody that either has been injured or killed or has had a close call.
0: Wow.
2: So that was kind of in the back of our minds. And when the wreck happened, fortunately, we have to have motorcycle safety training to ride on the Air Force Base, and that very much came into play because we were able to mostly avoid the wreck. We saw the guy approaching the intersection very quickly and he tried to turn in the direction of travel. So instead of him hitting us on a 90-degree angle, he kind of hit us on a 45 and then knocked us out of the way. So it could have been much, much worse. And we, of course, had full gear on. I had armor-plated jacket, a helmet, chaps, heavy boots, gloves, everything. And um, my leg got pinned between the bumper and the bike, and I broke my leg in three places. Wow! And I ended up having to have a rod put in that. So, um, yeah, that was that. that What was that recovery?
0: What was that recovery like? I mean, you're you're grateful that you lived, of course, and like you said, it could have been so much worse. But still, what did that look like in terms of? having to move around, go to work, what was the physical recovery of that like to say nothing of like the emotional trauma of that?
2: Right, right. Yeah, there's definitely two prongs to that the physical component. When you break a leg, you think, okay, well, it heals pretty quick. But the problem is, is when it's immobilized like that, you lose a lot of the use of it. And so I had, gosh, many months of physical therapy, just so I could walk without a limb. Wow. So I was on crutches uh, for a few months, and then I transitioned into physical therapy, which is another few months. And Mm. I thought it would be a knee problem, but it ended up being an ankle problem. An ankle really controls how much you walk and how you walk. Mm. And so there was a lot of physical therapy. The compounding factor was that I was working as an aircraft mechanic at the time on the Air Force Base. Wow. And I couldn't be on top of a C-130 with a broken leg, of course. And thankfully, they found something else for me to do, which ironically was working in safety. Hmm. And (laughs) we got a a laugh out of that. But thankfully, they found something for me to do. And I didn't lose my job and and all of that because the emotional toll was difficult enough. So to lose my job on top of that would have been awful. Would have been devastating. So. Of course, yeah, and the gentleman that I got in the wreck with, he broke a couple of vertebrae in his back and ended up having a fusion, oh. and he broke his ankle. Wow. And because I was in the middle of a divorce, we hadn't really started dating. We kind of, I think, liked each other, but I learned a whole bunch about trauma bonding through this because we decided it would be a good idea for our friends and family to take care of us to live together. Hmm. So we stayed in the same house. I I went and stayed at his house for a couple months after. So it was easier for one person to care for us rather than two or three and the logistics of that. And so um, what I thought was a developing relationship was kind of toxic. And as I was going through the physical healing process, I had a friend of my dad's pull me aside and warn me about getting addicted to opioids and He said to me, I've had multiple surgeries and I know multiple people who have gone down this path of becoming addicted to opioids. So if I were you, take the minimum amount you can, just enough to take the edge off, just enough to get through the day. If they tell you you can take four pills a day, try to take one, which is exactly what I did. And I took one pill a day, a half in the morning, a half at night, just to get kind of through the day. Fortunately, I have a pretty high pain tolerance, so I was able to grunt my way through it and do physical therapy and such without having to take a lot of painkillers. But the person I got in the wreck with, obviously with a back injury, was eating a lot. And I saw the difference in our healing processes because I had a lot of time to think. And I noticed that I was healing at a faster rate and better by taking the, oh, my gosh, that was close approach than the poor, pitiful, me, I can't believe this happened approach. And that's kind of the catalyst for me when I realized, what is wrong with me? I was on the pity pot, worried about my divorce, I felt like a failure, I felt like I was never going to have children, and I decided, you know what, I've been given a second chance, literally a second chance, because I've almost been killed once before, someone's trying to get my attention, so I'm going to listen, and that is when I decided that I needed to change my mindset
0: wow I appreciate this background I'm listening to this whole story trying to take all of this in Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what we're going to hear next we're going to take a quick break and come back and see what happens after that deciding point for you that decision moment and then what, what happens either good or bad you know where does life take you next we'll be right back Jenny, we're back. Uh, Thank you for giving us kind of that background and talking through that that pity party and here I am in my own world and deciding, I had written down earlier that you said at one point in your life you had two directions to go, up or down. So tell us after that accident and that healing process, what does happen next in that decision point in your life and and
2: what are the next things that unfold? Well, interestingly enough, life and the healing process is not linear. Mm. So I realized in that relationship that there were a lot of toxic things happening and a lot of things in that relationship that were very consistent with borderline personality disorder. And when I realized the reality, because I thought I was going crazy, some of the things that were happening between us, um, I was being gaslit and I was being told that my reality wasn't real and the things that I, I was feeling and hearing were in my head. And and that was very confusing to me, especially when you're trying to heal from something traumatic. And when I got free of that, I decided, okay, I'm going to be single for a while and I'm going to heal. And then, of course, life had other plans. And I met somebody and I worked with his mother and she wanted us to connect because we had both been in motorcycle wrecks. And it just was a friendship that was just kind of an information trading thing. And we ended up really liking each other. And I felt different. I thought this guy was the one. I thought I'd finally healed and met somebody. And then he just disappeared one day, just completely disappeared, stopped answering my calls, didn't give me an explanation of what happened and wasn't even talking to family. So his mother got a hold of him, come to find out he had had a bunch of things kind of hit the fan in his life. And he had checked himself into a treatment center because he was feeling suicidal. And I'm trying to be supportive, and he pretty much cut everybody off from the healing process and decided he was going to handle it himself. And so, on the heels of a wreck and on the heels of a bad relationship, I get my heart broken. Oh my goodness. And yeah, yeah, life is like, we're going to just fire hose you and see how you handle it. I know. We're going to see if you really paid attention. Yes. I feel like that's the way it
1: happens to a lot of people, though. mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think people beat themselves up a little bit, because when this breakup happened, I had a lot of friends and family saying to me, well, it's not like he died. I don't understand what you're upset about. You guys weren't even married. And I'm thinking, but this is the most profoundly deep relationship I've ever been in. And we were talking about marriage. He had asked my dad for my hand in marriage. I had a ring being made. And it felt different than anything I'd ever been in. And what I didn't realize that I was just kind of recreating the same trauma or the same patterns I had been in for a while and that was a desperation mindset and living in fear that I was never going to find anybody and so I overlooked a lot of red flags and at that point that was in 2012 so 2010 to 2012 was just kind of gnarly and (laughs) the 2012 when this breakup happened is when I got into a very very dark headspace and I was sitting in my house in Ogden up by Weaver State, and I was feeling very, very – I was in a very dark place, I'll just say that. And I, I literally decided, you know what, I can do one of two things. I either go up or I go down. And I decided I'm, I just need to go outside and just be around people right now. So I had never run in my life, and I went up, I think, the 27th Street Trailhead and just started running. And I ran until I couldn't run anymore, which wasn't very far because I didn't run at the time. And then I sat there, and I'm overlooking Noggin Valley, and I'm thinking, what? This is such a beauty. What am I thinking? What is wrong with me? I was given a second chance after this wreck. I am able to run on this leg that had been broken. You know, how awesome is medical science that they can fix us? And I thought, I'm being an idiot right now. And so I went home, and I started trying to figure out how I could heal. And for me, that was when I discovered adventure. I've always been adventurous and very active and very curious. But I literally just started writing things down I had always wanted to do, kind of before I knew what a bucket list was. (laughs) And I decided I'm just going to start saying yes to everything. And whatever people offer me or whatever experience I think I might have, I'm just going to go with it and see what happens. And it's been eight of the best years of my life. I have lived more life in the last eight years than most people do in a lifetime. And I just started – saying yes to things that I didn't think were opportunities. And I realized that once I got out of my comfort zone is where the growth happened. And then it became intoxicating where I thought, wow, what can I learn? What lesson can I find here? How can I share this with people or how can I apply this to my life? Where's the lesson? And once I started trying new things and pushing myself out of that, that comfort zone and out of that fear mindset, everything just blossomed.
0: I just want to know, like, what are some of the adventures you went on? Like you you mentioned that you ran that day and then you started to say yes. Can you give us just a few snippets of like what were some of those early adventures in that the beginning of those eight years now that I love that you're using adventure as a way to deal with adversity? Like, I don't know that I would think of adventure therapy, but that's exactly what it is. So tell us just some of the cool things that you either wrote on the list or got invited to do and jumped in on.
2: Oh, gosh, there are so many. Um, A few. uh, I volunteered with the Utah Symphony, Utah Opera, and I was invited to perform in an opera. And the Utah Opera has what they call supernumeraries, which are extras. And if they don't have enough people in the chorus to fill out the cast, they will hire actors. And I don't consider myself an actor. I have worked in film a little bit, but I'm typically behind the camera and i thought you know what this is an interesting thing and i really really respect the manager of the opera i don't say no to her and i thought you know what this this will get me this will yank me right out of my comfort zone and i had an incredible incredible time um i've actually performed in three operas since and it is the most amazing experience and it, it's not lost on me how lucky i am because here i am where there are people who wish their whole life to get to that level of performance. And here I am walking right onto the stage of Capitol Theater. And I'm just so incredibly grateful that I was brave enough to say yes and that the Symphony Opera Organization are just wonderful people. Um, One of the other things I did is uh, I had a friend of mine that had an airline ticket he needed to use. And he said, if you can keep this same routing, it was a round trip to San Francisco, And if you can keep this same routing, I'll just give you the ticket. Southwest will reticket it into your name and you can go on a trip. And I thought, okay, well, I don't know what I'm going to do or where I'm going to go. But I used to work for Delta Airlines and I went to San Francisco quite a bit. So I thought, yeah, I'll just go. And I jumped on a plane. This was on a Tuesday afternoon when I got this phone call. It cost me $11 to reticket the ticket into my name. And on Friday, I jumped on a plane and went to San Francisco. And when I landed, he said, hey, if you don't have a place to stay, I have my sailboat moored in Half Moon Bay. You're welcome to go stay on it. It's like a floating RV. It has water and power and all of that stuff. And so I did. And I ended up going crab fishing that day with some people that were on the dock. They all boat people talk to each other. And I ended up out in an area called Mavericks, which is a famous surf spot. And I'm out there on this crab boat. I'm watching people surf. And it was the most amazing weekend ever. And I would have never been able to plan something like that. I just kind of went with it.
0: Okay, I'm loving Those this. Those are the kind of things you, that happen. You went from running to the opera to surfing to some <laughs> random RV on the water. Like, you're not kidding when you say adventure. You're not just looking for that physical. Yeah, and you know, Some people run marathons or they hike or something. Yeah. You're really just up for whatever. You're going to try something new and get out there.
1: Yeah, she meant it when she yeah. said that she was just going to start saying yes.
2: Yeah, that yeah. is that is incredible. I love it. I love it. And there have been things that haven't worked out. the 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 cool thing that I learned throughout this is that everybody has fear. Everybody has trepidation. And if you can just push through that, magical things happen. We're all afraid of something, and I figured out how to distract myself because emotions I have learned for me are just little signposts of hey, something needs attention. And it's like watching cars on the freeway. I'll have an emotion and I'll acknowledge it and go, okay, that's great. That means I need to attend to something or do something. And then I just let it pass. And I've been able to distract myself in a way. That was how I figured out how to be resilient is to get my mind involved with something else. And I did run marathons. I've I've actually not run a full marathon, but I've run several half marathons. And I've done several Spartan races and Tough Mudders. And... That was really fun, but the physical challenge was great, but I also needed something to challenge my mind. And so for me, I I like to learn new things and I like to see new things and to travel. And, and so for me, that distraction enabled me to take my focus off of my problems or emotions just long enough that I could get past the emotion and past the feelings. And then when you're in a little bit better place, when you're exhausted, you've got endorphins from running or you've had a great trip, then your brain is in a different place to receive information or to address problems in your life. And so I realized, okay, if I'm feeling something and I'm struggling with something, I need to distract my brain for a little bit so I can just kind of get my breath and then work through it.
0: Okay, this is brilliant. Yeah. Brilliant to say, for one, the fact that you recognize that the emotion is a sign. The emotion is, hey, something needs attention, whatever that is. But then not trying to address that need in the middle of the emotion. Like that is incredible Mm -hmm. to say, I'm going to acknowledge I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm depressed, I'm whatever. But instead of trying to solve it from that dark place, which is so impossible and frustrating, I'm going to go distract myself and then come back. I'm not going to sweep it under the rug and pretend it doesn't exist because that's also not helpful but I, I love how you're saying I'm going to acknowledge the emotion, I'm going to distract myself and get to a better place, then I'm going to address the emotion. Like that is brilliant.
1: Well, I want oh, to talk you. about fear. You keep bringing up fear. And you know, what's interesting to me about fear is that physically it manifests in our body exactly the same way as excitement does.
2: Mm-hmm. So, what,
1: so whether you're fearful or excited, your heart will race, you might sweat, you will feel the pounding it in your chest, you know, all of the things that we feel when we're either afraid or excited. And then sometimes it's just mentally telling yourself, I can do this. I can do this and just push past that moment. I recently returned from a little vacation and you know, I I find myself it's easier to do things when you're with other people. Like there's there's this false sense of safety in numbers or or the encouragement even. Just Like we're all doing this, we're all in it together. And so I think whether you're doing it alone or with other people, I think it's really important that we just keep pushing ourselves.
2: It is. And I think exposing yourself to different groups and different challenges is great because I've had anxiety my whole life. And I learned that a while ago that you need to reframe things in your head to tell your brain your heart's racing because you just ran around the block, not because you're going to have a heart attack and die. Right. And I figured out a way to reframe things. And for a long time, I mean, I've been single most of my adult life and there's a lot of cultural pressure to change that. And dating these days, quite frankly, is difficult. And, and disappointing we're all... yeah.
1: <laughs> and incredibly disappointing. That is, by the way, you and I should do that one because Jenny is not interested in that one. No, because <laughs> everything you ladies say just reinforces my standing. So there you go. I know. But you should come on because, I mean, I have the perspective of having a successful 31 year old marriage. Right. And so I, I got into the dating world having different expectations than maybe you did. And so that would be an interesting that – that is actually just a whole different show. Anyway, getting back to you and uh, what you're talking about here, it is important that we, um, we kind of break free of those molds that we've been asked to, to stand in, right? Like we live in Utah. Being single in Utah after 25, really, you're just – you're kind of like – Um, it's like almost not welcomed, you know, like what is wrong with you, right? That's kind of the mentality behind it,
2: Mm -hmm. which is difficult. Yeah, it it is. And so taking that fear, which is something I can't control, I can't control meeting somebody. I can go out into the world and go, okay, I'm going to look at dating as a learning experience about what I like and don't like, how to work on my boundaries, how to deal with different emotional things and how to interact with people. That's kind of the way I approach it, because I can look at my past. One of the things that's been super helpful for me is to not necessarily journal, but like a photographic journal of all of my adventures. And that's what my Instagram is, is all of these things I've done that I didn't plan that just kind of happened. And whenever I'm kind of down, whenever I'm sitting home thinking, gosh, I've been single for four years now. What is wrong with me? I can look back on that and go, you know what? I'm going to be fine. I can get through anything. I I will absolutely be fine because I've taken a good hard look at my hobbies and I have since found the groups of people that share those hobbies. Absolutely. And so I built a social network with meetup and with singles groups and different things on Facebook where you realize, oh, I'm not surrounding myself with the right people. Yeah. Because the people in my past were you need to be married. We really want grandkids yeah, or whatever. Regardless of who and person I'm, is. Yeah. Uh-huh. And so I had to take a good, hard look at that and say, you know what? I got to be tough here because these people don't understand my life. They don't understand what I go through on a daily basis. And it's up to me to figure out what I need and for me to make it happen. No one else can do it for me. So if I need to get outside, I need to find a hiking meetup group, which I do religiously. And I need to find other like-minded singles that are smart. And that's why I sought out Michelle because, it's very common for people, especially at this age, to be jaded when it comes to dating and to be Absolutely. frustrated because it is a frustrating process. It's a planetary alignment to find somebody <laughs> whose finances and geography and child custody and all of that aligns. Right. So it is a frustrating process. You have to find those people that are in a similar mindset. And for me, I have just noticed that for me to be in a growth mindset is how I deal with life. How am I going to grow from this? What am I going to learn? I don't have to like it. I can be frustrated, and I allow myself to sit in that frustration. If I have a bad date, or I just get bummed out because it looks like everyone is having a funner life than me, you know, right now it's difficult because I'm watching everybody on Facebook with their kids going to school, and that's an experience I'm never going to have,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and it breaks yeah. my heart. Yeah, but there's not which a is lot another I can do segment.
1: All over again, and there's several single women that we could have back on the show to talk about what it's like to give up the hopes and dreams of being a biological mother because I've met several single women since becoming single that, um, you know, find it challenging because they had to give up that idea of, of being a mom, and it is difficult. We need to take a break, but when we come back, I happen to know something about this lady that I find really fascinating and amazing. And I want her to share it with you. And uh, hopefully she'll do that when we come back. we're back with Jenny Evans. Jenny, thank you so much for being on here. And definitely we'll have to come have you back on because there's definitely some other episodes that we can cover that are it's not grief, death related, but grief, other way related. Grief, loss. Yeah. So um, tell us a little bit more about you, this concept of adventure. Tell us about your experience with trapeze and where where's your other loves and interests? What goals could maybe we help you set or accomplish or achieve?
2: Oh, goodness, I have so many. So the trappiest thing. So one of the things I decided to do was that I'm just going to go out and live my life. And if somebody finds me, they find me. I'm going to be fine alone. I have a great network. And one of the things that bothers me is how much we stigmatize being single and childless because there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I felt I would made the right decisions at the time and I'm trying to show people you can live a full happy life without having children or if you're single because I think a lot of people worry way too much about it and being single is that time you have to pursue all of these goals and do all of these things very selfishly that you want to do and the um, thing you were alluding to is that I have a goal to do something called wing walking. And wing-walking is something they did in the early days of aviation where women would get – most mostly women would get on top of a wing, a biplane, and walk around and do tricks. Um, so the Barnstormers back then, that was their entertainment. And I found a school up by Seattle that still teaches it. And I really, really, really want to try it. Um, I, I don't dare tell my mom. I think I'll have to just show her pictures afterward. But I think at this point, my parents aren't really too surprised at the stuff I do. I mean, I'm a little bit of a thrill seeker. I've skydived. I do flying trapeze. I ride motorcycles and... I'm not actively trying to push it, but I like to push myself out of my comfort zone. But it drama. kind of feels like maybe you are. <laughs> oh,
1: Jenny's no. over there I going, mom, I have a daughter who the mom does trapeze. <laughs> yeah.
0: The mom and me are like, going, absolutely, yes, you are.
1: <laughs> and <laughs> well, now you're worried about thing. your daughter hearing this episode and going, yeah. oh, I can take
2: trapeze off to wing walking? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Walk, those, both, wings, Walk those wings,
1: girl. Walk those wings.
2: <laughs> Both things are relatively safe. Um, trapeze, because of both both things have a lot of liability. And so you, you're wearing safety harnesses and there's a lot of rehearsing and safety training that goes into it. But I just happened to be in L.A. about five years ago visiting some friends and I needed to kill an afternoon. And I went down to Santa Monica Pier and there's a trapeze school down there. And I thought it was made up for TV. I didn't know it really existed. And I have a gymnastics and tumbling background, and I lettered in diving in high school, so I'm kind of used to that kind of physical activity, and so I took a class, and five years later, I started at 40, and I have no desire to try join Cirque du Soleil, but it is some of the most fun I have ever had in my life. Um, it's like swinging around on the swings when we were kids, you land in a net, it's nice and bouncy. You're on safety cables so you don't fall off. I mean, you just land very softly in the net. There's a coach on the platform and a coach on the ground, and so you're constantly being watched and they're they're looking out for your safety. And I just thought, you know what? How can I shock people now? Like what? Now <laughs> it's become kind of a game for me because all of my friends are like, "You live this adventurous life. What are you going to do next?" And so for me, it's kind of fun trying to find things that are just different and unique and. That's kind of where the wing walking came in. So I I am uh, just getting ready here very soon to start my private pilot's license. And I have worked in aerospace for 25 years, and my first love is aviation. And I have always wanted to do it, and it's an expensive hobby. I've never been able to do it until now. Now I'm mid-career. I have a great job. I have a home, and I'm able because I don't have – grandkids to spoil I have to just spoil myself and so I decided I'm going to learn to fly and that's where the wing walking came in I just happened to find it on Instagram and I thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen I I have got to try that and it's as much about getting to ride in a vintage biplane as it is getting out and walking on top of it but I just it's just such an interesting weird thing that I'm just I just itching to try it
1: I love it. I think it's so cool. And I just, I hope that everyone can understand why I would want you on my show today. I just think that you are the example of what we all should be doing in our lives, whether we're married, unmarried, whatever our life situation, we should always be striving to push ourselves and put ourselves in out of that comfort zone, whatever that comfort zone is, just push
2: ourselves a little bit so that we can grow. Right. Right. And I think one of the things we do as people is we minimize our own struggles and failures because I didn't have to see someone through cancer. I didn't have to deal with the death of a spouse. That's deep and that's heavy. And so a lot of times I think from my standpoint, I'm thinking, well, my problems pale in comparison to that. But to me, those problems are just as heavy. Those things in my life that have been a huge struggle and been a lot for me to get over and so i think what people need to do is just to kind of be honest with themselves and go hey it's okay to struggle we all have struggles it's okay we to be all struggle i and hate no matter it how big or how small they are right we can, we can manage them
1: which is why i'm so glad that you came on the show today too to talk about these things because it's not like i said before it's not just the big heavy things jenny and i jenny had a very public loss of her husband It was tragic. It was awful. I had a more personal loss where my husband was sick for a long time, and we knew that we couldn't do anything to stop his inevitable loss of his life. And that was very hard and difficult to deal with. But those were not the only things that defined our lives. Jenny's had a lot in her life, lost her dad. He committed suicide when she was young. I had other losses as well when I was first Uh, I had several miscarriages um, about nine before I was able to have my first child and then two late term miscarriages um, after 20 weeks that were really hard to get through. And so, you know, we don't carry those uh, and we're not so public with all of those things all the time, obviously, but all of us have stories that are hard and some of them are not necessarily even on that scale but that doesn't mean that they're any less difficult. So I, I hate the comparison. The comparison is a hard thing for me because I'm like, it doesn't really matter because if that's your challenge and that's where you're you're at, whatever that challenge is, and it's very difficult to overcome, it's your challenge. And until you figure out how to be resilient and how to grow and how to move on, um, it's still your challenge, right? And so I, I, I really, I don't like it when people start saying, It's nothing to what you've been through. It's like, well, I, it's okay. I agree. And Jenny, I
0: love what you said that your, your year 2010 to 2012 was so hard. So that 2020 came along and you're like, whatever. I I felt that way a lot of times. I'm Mm -hmm. like, we, and for me, my, my disaster of 2018 started long before the November when Brent died my, my difficult thing was we had our home flooded and we had to be relocated and we had to do a remodel. And now I look at that and say, okay, that is not on the same scale as burying my husband, but you know what? That beat me up a lot more. That was so hard and that was so overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And and so I do think you're bringing up some really good points here to say that hard is hard and we don't need to compare with what we've been through before the other person's going through. We, We don't need to say it wasn't that hard. So we shouldn't be that, you know, Uh, overwhelmed by it. But Jenny, I would love to know. I've taken so many notes. I could make so many awesome t-shirts out of cool things you've said. But can you answer the question, what is resilience to you? How would you put that into words?
2: I would say resilience is knowing how you tick and knowing how you deal with frustrations and struggles. It took me a long time to put a finger on the fact that I needed to distract my brain. And I didn't really learn that until I just kind of started reacting to things, started doing these adventures and going out hiking and doing different things that I realized, oh, my goodness, that's it. I just need to distract myself. And so I think being honest about what you need, how big or how small, or how you deal with things, whether you think it's right or not. I mean, some people deal with things through thinking or crying or yoga. Well, if that's not your thing, you can – do it through cooking, you can do it through lots of different ways. And so for me, learning to be resilient, and what I would tell people is to really take a good hard look at the things you enjoy and the things where your brain can disengage. Like when you're doing yoga, and you have to focus on not falling on your head, Mm -hmm. you know, where you have to focus on what you're doing and find those things you can focus on and figure out a way to make that work for you. Because I think even though I haven't dealt with a big, heavy, crazy thing yet, I have complete confidence I will be fine because I have taken so many baby steps in that direction that now I have tools and now I have skills to get me through things. Now I know, hey, my parents are in their you know mid to late 70s. They're not going to live forever. At some point, I'm going to have to deal with this. And I have complete confidence that I'll be okay because I have taken all of these little things that all coalesce into big things and then you realize you know what i can get through just about anything i i, I will be fine
1: that is so awesome it's amazing being self aware is absolutely a trait of resiliency it's just spot on it's being honest with ourselves is one of the, the most important first steps of being resilient understanding where we are where we're at and when we have challenges to be able to 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 be um, aware of, okay, this thing has happened and now I'm, I'm going to figure out how to get through this. And so, yeah, that's exactly spot on. I love it.
0: I love what you said that resilience is knowing how you tick. And Mm -hmm. what you need to do to get yourself out of that. And it's not what the textbook says I should do or what the other lady at the grocery store did that worked for her. And you mentioned things, whether it's that sense of adventure or cooking or yoga. I think a lot of times we think, well, in order to help my mental well-being, I should do things that fit in the mental well-being category. Well maybe for mm-hmm. you cooking something gets you in a mental well-being category. Maybe talking with a friend, maybe I just watching a movie. I will never forget the night my dad died when we first found out that he he had died. Um we watched Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I remember my mom putting that on and I I'm sure you know she was not necessarily watching the movie. She had everything going on. We were little kids, but I think the principle of that to where sometimes like you said, Jenny, I can recognize the heavy, heavy emotion, whatever that emotion is. And I can also be okay with saying, I'm not going to deal with it right now. I'm not going to shove it under the rug and pretend it didn't happen. I'm not going to turn the other way and be all Pollyanna blind eye. But I'm going to acknowledge that maybe right now I'm going to go watch a funny movie. or I'm going to go to dinner with a friend or I'm going to go shopping or I'm going to go, you know, pull the weeds. Whatever it is for each of us, that really is the resilience to be able to say, I know how I tick.
1: And I know what helps me tick better. I love, you said, focus on the things you enjoy. And I I think that that is a great uh, mindful practice, really, a journal practice. While you're making your list of gratitude, why not kind of carve out some time to really think about the, right now when you're not having a trial in your life, what are the things that you do that bring joy to you now? What are those things? and how can you grow or develop those things to even bring you more joy i love that
2: yeah and i think i think you need to celebrate your wins even the little tiny ones because Absolutely. those those help and and it's not even necessarily sometimes about creating distractions it's breaking things into smaller manageable bites and if you engage in cooking and you think okay i'm going to get through this particular part of my struggle and then tomorrow, I'll get through another part. And then the next day, I'll get through another part. Instead of trying to eat the whole entire elephant at once, it's okay to break it down into small chunks and go, okay, today, I don't have the energy. Today, I need to focus on self-care. I'm tired. I realize I'm I'm reacting, you know, in a way that I, I don't normally react. And today, I'm going to give myself a break. And I'm just going to relax. I'm going to do yoga. I'm going to cook my favorite meal. And just allow yourself to sit in that discomfort because I think people – get frustrated when they're dealing with something just everyday life, no matter how big or how small, and they don't think there should be discomfort. Our normal human tendency is to avoid discomfort. And so, but discomfort's okay. Discomfort is just another signpost of, hey, something needs to be addressed. And, and it's okay to have bad days. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to just stop and go, okay, I'm not going to deal with this today because it's too much.
0: I love this. I love, love, love it. Okay, everybody's got to find Jenny Evans on Instagram so we can watch when you do your wing walking and your trapeze and your everything else. Thank you. Jenny, thank you for sharing so much of what you've learned through your life that I know will help the rest of us because it's so personalized. Find how you tick. Find your signposts. Find where you need to sit in your emotion. Find your distractions, your adventure. And there is no one-size-fits-all. And isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that we can each find and really have that self-awareness and then get ourselves out of those comfort zones, which of course are comfortable, but the real growth comes outside of them. So Jenny, we can't thank you enough for joining us today, sharing not just one story, but really an essence of your life and your being with us. We're so grateful. We're grateful to our listeners for tuning in again and hope that as you listen, you've liked what you've heard, that you'll find us on your favorite podcast platform and give us a like and a rating and a review. And if you or someone you know has a real story about real life that you're willing to share, please contact us. Find Michelle at the next singles event or run into me at the grocery (laughs) store with the kids or send us an email at rrpodcast at ksl.com. Find us on Facebook at Relentlessly Resilient or Instagram at Relentlessly Resilient Podcast.
1: Thank you. And remember, whatever you do, be kind. You have no idea the struggles others are dealing with in their own lives. Have a great day.